0: Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Josh Griffin.
1: Thank you, Annette. And uh, before we get into this week's episode, just have to ask all of our listeners for a favour and I wanted to ask if you have rated and reviewed the podcast as yet. If you haven't, then please, I'd love you to do so. And a lot of people ask, well, why? Why do we have to rate and review the podcast? Why do you ask us so often? And well, what it does is it actually gets the podcast into more people's feeds. It gets shown to more people. And we think that's a really positive thing because we're sharing inspirational stories of extraordinary people, extraordinary Australians. And we feel that by getting those stories out to more people, then it can just provide a bit more positivity and a bit more inspiration for people who might need it. So it's pretty easy to do. If you don't know how to do it, head to awardsaustralia.com slash podcasts. And our wonderful producer, Annette, has put a little how-to guide right there on the website. Make it really easy for you. Now, uh, one more little thing before we get started. Actually, uh, going to bring you behind the scenes of the podcast. This is secret stuff. Not really. But anyway, we recorded this episode with Bianca Templar a few weeks back, probably close to a month almost now. And uh, only releasing it now this week in Reconciliation Week. In between recording with Bianca, she was a finalist in our Tasmanian Young Achiever Awards. We actually held the awards night where, believe it or not, Bianca was announced as the winner in the award. And we didn't realize at the time, Annette and I. And so I've got Annette here with me to shed a bit of light on that because, Annette, you were there in Hobart for the event.
0: Yes, I was. And uh, I was at reception desk and Bianca ran over to me because we'd done the podcast, so we, we got to know each other a bit. And she was resplendent in her bright pink hair and, and nose rings and she's just so much fun. And uh, We had a hug and I wished her well because uh, I don't know the judging results, so uh, I was as surprised as, as she was when she was announced the winner. And it was wonderful. She ran up on stage and Dr Jessica Manuela from Dental South is uh, our presenting partner for the First Nations People's Achievement Award, which Bianca won. And, uh, yeah, I I just felt a whole lot of pride, Josh.
1: Yeah, pretty cool. And you're right, uh, her hair does look incredible. Anyone wanting to see uh, some awesome photos of the event, uh, the whole event, including uh, Bianca being presented as the winner, you can head to Tasmanian Young Achiever Awards on Facebook. Heaps of photos up there and a bit of video content too, I believe. And yeah, that was great. And uh, Jess Manuel- Manuela, as you mentioned, she's on episode 42 of the podcast, uh, which was very recently aired. So that's a really good one to check out as well. She's a very passionate, uh, First Nations leader and a very successful business person in her own right as well. So uh, I guess without any further ado, now that we've uh, let everyone know the inner workings of the podcast, we uh, can move on to this week's dose of inspiration, Bianca Templar. Now, as I mentioned, she was a finalist and then announced as a winner in the Tasmanian Young Achieve Awards. And Bianca is enhancing the voice of grassroots First Nations people in Tasmania. Bianca is a young Aboriginal woman who has worked to co-facilitate Come Walk With Us sessions, as well as coordinate and execute the Launceston Black Lives Matter vigil, which obviously was last year. Bianca has spoken on radio for the wide community to be further educated about issues Tasmanian Aboriginal people face and the politics that are involved. She's worked with the Tasmanian Aboriginal Centre and the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Alliance. Bianca completed a Bachelor of Social Work and was named the Tasmanian Aboriginal Youth of the Year at the 2020 NAIDOC Awards. Bianca is a finalist in the Dental South First Nations People Achievement Award. And keep an eye out on the, the list of episodes because we did actually interview Jess Manuela recently, who is the founder and owner of Dental South the company that is our sponsor partner for that award. So, Bianca, welcome today. Thanks for your time.
0: Hello. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you. You're looking forward to the gala presentation event, which is at our time of recording next weekend.
0: Yes, I'm pretty excited. I've got all my um, stuff sorted and I found my dress and I'm pretty ready to go.
1: Lovely. That's funny that you mentioned that. It is something that we've been hearing that people are um, so I actually haven't been to an event in a while, even though kind of events have been back on. People haven't really been going to them that much. So it is kind of, uh, oh yeah, what do I wear to events?
0: <laughs> yep.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like most of the time, oh, I got my hoodie, got my trackies, work from home. But uh, no, it's funny. Well, Bianca, it will be great to um, present you as a finalist. And by the time this episode has aired, that event will have come and gone. So people can check out the Tasmanian Young Achieve Awards Facebook page uh, for all the results. Now, Bianca, talking to you today about the work that you've been doing, you know, over the years. Um, and obviously before we talk about what you've been doing recently in the last 12 uh, to 24 months, kind of wanting to start back at the beginning and, you know, you're a finalist in the First Nations People Achievement Award. So have you always, you know, from a baby being um, brought up as a, a First Nations person, as an Aboriginal person, or has that kind of been something that you've learned and discovered over time?
0: I've always known who I am and I've always been pretty proud. I've always been very proud in who I am. Um, when I was younger, we had there was a lot of involvement with us within the community. Um, like because my dad being stolen generation, he was taken away from his mother. However, he was lucky to still be able to see her and spend some time with her. Um, and But because of that, when he was growing up because of things that happened to him, he was a bit, hesitant, so to speak, about how much he embraced of who he was. So when we he started embracing who he was and when he started doing that, my brothers and I started doing more things um, at the centre and at the elders' council and going to um, the childcare and places like that. But with the community politics being a bit um, rough, sometimes it can make people feel the need to step back a bit. And so when I, um, close to my teenage years, my dad did step back from community for, for a while there. But because he did that, and I understand why he did that, but because of that, it kind of meant that my nan picked it up because she always wanted us to know who we were and ensure that we had that sense of cultural richness in our life and that connection to our community.
1: Can I um, quickly ask, is that your nan, is that your dad's mum who he was initially yep. separated from?
0: Yes, that's my wow. dad's mum. So her name is Aunty Gloria Templar, and she was a traditional shell stringer down here in Tasmania. I used to sit um, at the kitchen table and I'd watch her shell away with her toothies and her rice shells and I'd ask her a bunch of questions as to why she's doing it, how is she doing it, where do you get that from? Can I do it? Things mm. like that. All the kid questions. I asked all those questions that as I got older, Nan continued to do more to ensure that I was deeply rooted in my community. So she took me over to Cape Barron when I was 14 to take part in a documentary called The Island Music.
1: Okay. Where, where is that, Cape Barron?
0: Cape Barron is one of the little islands off the tip of the Tasmania, so it's yep. part of the Phoenix Island group. So that includes like Flinders Island and King Island as well, as well as all the other little ones like Big Dog and Great Dog, and yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great names.
0: So yeah, she taught me how to shell, and like over the years, I kind of dropped dropped out and kind of did my own thing. Being a teenager, college student, I think I was just up talking to them one day. And she went, "Have you heard of this?" And I was, and we just started talking about it, and it was like, kind of like a light bulb moment in my head. Of you know, I know a lot, but there's so much more left to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of put me on my little journey to make sure that Nan's wish was granted—that I I knew who I was and I embedded my roots deep into my community. So I've always grown up in community, but. Um, during my my early years my involvement with the community was a bit um in and out
1: Yep, that's um i think a lot of people can relate to that moment of oh well i've been around and it can be any topic can't it i've been around this for my whole life but Mm. you never really had that moment that click that light bulb until you get that little bit older and then you realize actually the importance
0: Mm, absolutely especially when when you've got a grandmother that has so much knowledge and richness and respect in the community, you feel that weight of obligation that it's your duty now to take over and do those things because my nan passed away last year and she she had been sick for a very long time and that's part of like the, the continued step ups. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about your nan, um, Bianca. Were you able to, you know, have a, a funeral? for her, you know, 2020 being the year of uh, so many difficulties.
0: Yeah, she passed away in February. So we're lucky that it was just before all the coronavirus stuff hit. When she was in hospital, she was on one side of the room and across from her was our Aunty Elvie. She was an elder as well. And so when Nan, we knew what Nan's time was coming to an end. So I went out and got a um, cassette of the old, old Kate Barron Music, the Island Coos. Yeah. And I went, got my vinyl player and I put my cassette in and I took it into the hospital and I held it up right to Nan's ear so she could hear her Island music before she, for the last time before she passed. Wow. And Aunty Elsie's sitting across the room and she's singing and she's dancing. (laughs) Really? Yeah. um, Unfortunately, though, she passed away um, about three, four weeks after my Nan.
1: Oh, geez, that's a rough run.
0: Oh, it's been a very rough year with community, uh, like the last 12 months with community has been very rough.
1: Yeah, well, um, I guess kind of asking a bit before um, this time when you were younger, going around with your nan to, you know, the community centre you mentioned earlier and things like that, was it, a, it sounds like she was someone who was very well known in the community. What, what was it like, you know, getting around with her and everyone probably stopping you and saying hello and those kind of things?
0: It kind of makes you feel famous. Like even now, like I'll go talk to I'll go meet someone and they'll be like, Oh, who are you? Because that's, you know, everyone asks who you are. And I always say, Oh, Marnie Gloria's granddaughter. Oh, Arnie Gloria, I love Arnie Gloria. And then like I'll be standing there for the next ten minutes hearing about all these stories and it's great because you never you never feel like someone's actually gone. When, when people continue to talk about them like they're still here.
1: Um, Lovely way to put it.
0: It's funny too, though, because my nan being so well-known in community, I can't, get, I couldn't get away with anything because <laughs> that was, they'd be calling up, nan, did you know Bianca's doing this?
1: <laughs> yeah, so you had everyone looking out for you or looking out uh, to make sure you were doing the right thing.
0: Yes. Which is it, which is good, but it it makes you laugh now, like looking back on it. <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. Now, um, I did want to ask quickly one thing. Uh, I was trying to scribble a little note earlier. You know, you talked about your dad and his mum, your nan, who we've talked about a lot. Gloria. He was separated from her. That obviously is heartbreaking. Um, and then he had to step away from community and things like that. And you can totally understand, like, just the trauma that. He- people have been through how that they would not in some ways not want anything to do with it and so it's it's important it's great that what you're doing is continuing the legacy and and helping people understand what was it like for you sorry you go
0: when my dad was um involved like heavily involved in community he was part of a book development with uh, uncle jimmy everett and in that book he wrote a series of poems um and those poems range from, like, his thoughts and feelings about the arrival of the first flea to him being a child and growing up in the confusion in which he faced.
1: Yeah, that sounds like it would be very powerful. With your own upbringing and, you know, going to school and those kind of things, you know, did you find your, I guess, Aboriginal heritage, I guess the question I'm asking here is, were you, you know, one of the only ones at your school or was it something that um, you were able to incorporate in your schooling?
0: When I was in primary school, from from what I remember, it was only my brothers and I. I know later on, like, in my brother's final year, there was another um, two Aboriginal people that came into the school. But, yeah, and then in high school, there were some Aboriginal kids, but it wasn't really something that was talked about. Um, yep. And, like, reflecting on that now, I truly feel that it's because the education system that we were in. Like everyone that I went through primary school with knew that I was Aboriginal because they'd pull us out of class and put in this put us in this little room and would, would do nothing just because we were Aboriginal. Like it just, the whole thing made no sense. But people knew that I was Aboriginal because of things like that. So like you'll be sitting in your humanities class and they're sitting there telling you about First Fleet and Trugganini was the last real Aboriginal and they all died from the flu. And all your friends are looking at you like, well, Bianca must be a liar because if Truganini was the last Tasmanian Aboriginal person, why is Bianca claiming to be one? And so you get a lot of ridicule and racism mm. from the people in your school because of the things that were being taught at that time. Like, I don't, on reflection of it all, I don't feel like it was ignorance on the students' behalf. I think it was ignorance on the behalf of the education system.
1: And uh, as a student at school, yeah, you know, especially primary school, the teacher's not wrong. Never.
0: Yeah. And that's.
1: You come home thing. and you argue with your parents. Oh, the teacher said this. And your parents said, oh, it's not always accurate. And then you say, no, but teacher said it. That has to be true.
0: It kind of leads you into this um, paradox of confusion trying to figure out who in your life is lying to you. Who can you trust? And. It's not fair. It's not fair on a parent to be put in that position and it's not fair on a child to be put in that position.
1: Yeah, very true. So, yeah, that sounds like it would have been quite um, difficult at times going through, you know, school like that. Did you know kind of what you wanted to do with yourself as you went through school? As you got older, I should say.
0: When I was in primary school because there were some things happening at home and which resulted in my brothers and I all being referred to as social workers through the school. Because being at home, like, I have a lot of love for my parents, but my upbringing was tough because because of how my dad was brought up with not having his loving mother around and his stepmother um, that he saw on occasion being horrible to him. He really struggled with being able to express emotion and things. And my mum could be very complacent to that. They've changed a lot now and realised things. And, you know, my dad's probably the most loving parent in the world now. But, yeah, because of my upbringing at the time, we referred to a social worker. And I went and saw the social worker and it just blew my mind that someone who I'd never met before, who had no interest, like invested interest in me, care for me so much she could make me me feel more cared than any any other person in my life and so yeah from grades from from grade three I knew that that's what I wanted to do
1: wow that's awesome that's so cool I didn't know where you were going with that story and uh, yeah very touching and it shows that when people just care that uh how much of an impact it can make
0: I've always maintained that as a social worker, as long as I can have one positive influence on somebody, then that's that's my entire career. I've made my entire career as long as I can positively influence one person.
1: Yeah. So obviously, that's why you did your uh, bachelor of social work at um at university. Was a uh, yeah? Can you tell us it was, a bit about? Oh, you go.
0: Oh, it was a bit of bit of inf- inspiration and a bit of spite. So when okay. I was going- when I was going through high school, I was, I was deemed as one of those naughty kids. And my mum will always tell people, and it makes me laugh every time, she'll always tell people, because um, I'm the youngest of two brothers, and she'll go, I never had a call from this school until Bianca started going there. <laughs> and so they put me on all the, these classes where you'd learn like a trade and stuff because they had told me that they didn't think that I was going to make it anywhere. Um, and then I had the same problem through college. Like I was just treated like, um, a no hoper and, you know, a drop kick. And so it was out of spite for those people that it really, that I wanted to push on and go to university. Um, like I know people tell you that you shouldn't live in hate and spite, but it depends how, it depends on the way that you look at it and how you want to utilize that feeling in which you have.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's interesting way to look at it, isn't it? Because yeah, you, uh, I can't help because I'm a bit of a nerd, but draw parallels to like the Star Wars, you know, they're using the the force, yeah. <laughs> the dark side of the force. But uh, I, I like what you're saying because, yeah, using the, okay, it's anger is a powerful emotion, you know, if we just boil it down to that, um, that can still be a motivator, can't it? But, but then you're what you're saying is you're not doing it while you're angry, but that anger, that was what kind of sparked you in the initial.
0: Yeah, it kept the, the fire going in the belly. Yeah. Yeah,
1: and so yeah, so that pushed you because people were telling you that you couldn't do it, or uh, they weren't believing in you.
0: Yep, I couldn't. Like it can I can be very stubborn, and so I didn't want to allow these people to feel like they had won.
1: Mm. <laughs> yep. What was it? You know, what was the process for you getting into to university?
0: Yeah, it was really good. Like I struggled for the first two years. Um, and that was because when I was in college, we never really had to write assignments mm. and things like that. So I struggled with that, that aspect of it. And then one of the lecturers made a comment about me being a mediocre student. So I was like, hmm, we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> so we might, I went from having a GPA um, of 4.0 in my first two years to finishing with a GPA of 6.0, and that meant that I was, I'm was now a part of the um, University of Tasmania's alumni.
1: That's awesome. Well done.
0: Thank you. Congratulations.
1: That's great. So you have uh, you finished your degree and then did you start working in social work?
0: Um, I did a lot of community development stuff. When I first finished my Bachelor, I went in and did yep. some community development work. So I first began out working with Colony 47 in Launceston as a community pathways planner. So I did things like um, family counselling, grant writing and facilitation and execution of NAIDOC events. And now now I've kind of led into being a bit more freelance at the moment, doing different bits and pieces like going into schools and teaching about culture and providing timelines of Aboriginal culture and um, impacts of colonisation and... Working with workplaces as well to to provide them more information on ways in which they can be more inclusive. Mm. Working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people.
1: Yeah, that's cool. And um, how did the uh, you know the come walk with us sessions come about?
0: At the university, there's a place called Riawana, which is like the little it's like an Aboriginal cultural hub on the university campus there, and I spent a lot of time hanging out in there because it's a safe space when you're studying at a white institution you need a safe space and that's what Rio Wana is and was for me um so I was in there and one of the workers they just said to me oh do you want to do you want to earn some money like we think that you'd be good at this pays this much are you interested and I was like why not um (laughs) yeah that's how it came and then it Turned out that um the facilitator, Claire, she knew my dad and they used to work together and so I got to hear all the stories about dad. And
1: <laughs> and so what was the, uh, you know, explain to us, I guess, um, what a Come Walk With Us session was.
0: So Come Walk With Us is an interactive program where you learn about pre-colonisation and then colonisation and the ripple effects of colonisation up until the current date in which it's yep. being delivered. We get people to do, like, when we're reading out conversations from diary extracts from Augustus Robinson, we'll get volunteers to get up and be the speakers and things such as that to make it more interactive for Mm. them. Um, There's a child child version called Gum Nuts to Buttons, um, and that's where we do the visual effects. So we put out all the gum nuts to show all the mob around Tasmania and then take them away, take them away, and then fill up the map with buttons. Okay. That way it gives that visual effect for the young people.
1: Mm. Yeah, that sounds really interesting in terms of showing people, giving an insight and making it yeah, real with real people and, and that kind of thing as well. Mm. You've been uh, facilitating those sessions and, and things like that. How? When kind of uh, was that? Was that, you know, in recent years or...?
0: That was while I was studying at university. Um, I'm looking at doing some more gum nuts to button programs in schools. But, yeah, the Come Walk With Us and some of the gum nuts to to button sessions I did were mostly while I was studying, so between 2013 to 2016.
1: And so another thing you do that people may not know about is the uh, Takamunarala artwork. And so, yeah. you know, obviously you do your social work and you help people um, in that way and interact with people. But, yeah, can you tell us a bit about your artwork as well?
0: So Takamonarala is Palawakani, um, which is Tasmanian Aboriginal pork. Um, so it's Palawakani for Stand Strong Designs. Yeah, I was inspired to do make my, my art page and things because of the push that my nan was giving me to put myself out there more. So it started off with being me just doing shell shell stringing, yeah. and now that's escalated into doing, like, large-scale commission painting pieces and things such as that. So I've become known, continuing the legacy in which my nan created through Takumunarela.
1: Yeah. Yep. And so because um, you do other jewellery as well, is that right?
0: Yeah, I make, um like, resin pendants. I do a lot of work with kookaburra feathers. Yeah, anything really I can get my hands on.
1: <laughs> no uh, no limits, is there?
0: No, I was trying to make um, a necklace out of bones, but um, that kept too brittle kept breaking on me. Uh,
1: well, um, people can check that out at Takumunarala Designs on Facebook. Yeah, I, I think you were telling me once actually about one of those commission pieces because you've done a fairly big one recently, haven't you?
0: Yeah, the same people actually got have got me to do another one. So at the moment I'm in the process of doing another piece. Um and both of them are about a metre and a half high.
1: Yeah, and, and that, what was it for? Was it inside like a one of their buildings or was it a um a canvas or something or
0: yeah, it was a commissioned canvas for inside these offices across the state, um, as part of their reconciliation action plan. So doing things to Bring culture into their workplace more, and acknowledge the land in which their workplace is on. And yeah, yeah, just embrace embrace the culture of the, that they're living within.
1: Yeah, that's great. And so, um, did you start that you know before your nan had passed?
0: No, um, yeah. that that was earlier this year. I do wish that nan could have seen me do a lot of the things I am now. Unfortunately. You can't wish people to be here knowing that it was going to cause some pain as
1: mm, well. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's brilliant that you're really honouring her and her legacy by continuing this on as well.
0: I hope. I hope she's proud.
1: I'm sure she would be, 100%. Speaking of, uh, of recent things and, uh, you know, and making people proud, I'm sure she should be proud of this. You uh, coordinated the Black Lives Matter vigil in Launceston last year as well. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, the planning of that and making it all happen? And I know that you, you faced some, some challenges along the way.
0: So it kind of came about with some conversations with some of my cousins who live, um, who live down south and I'm up north. Um, so they were like, we were kind of just talking about it should, like we should do something, this should be done, And it was kind of like my cousin down south went. All right, well, I'll organise something for down south, and Bianca, you organise something for the north, um, and you go. My other cousin, you go organise the northwest. So it kind of just went from a conversation to my other cousin just being like, "All right, well, you're doing it now." Like (laughs) you began the conversation, so you're doing it. Yeah. Um, So yeah, obviously there was a lot of talks with like police and the council and. Making sure that we didn't have candles too close to the leaves in the park and
1: for environmental reasons, or
0: um, well, I'd assume so. Um, <laughs> it
1: seems very specific, doesn't it?
0: Because it was in Princess Square, and where we had it, there's a big fountain. And so, because I wanted to place candles around the fountain, I actually had to go with a broom and sweep out any leaves oh. that were there in order to place the candles. Yep. Um But, yeah, there was a lot of media coverage with, which was both a blessing and a burden because I got a call from some stranger on an unknown number telling me that they were the KKK and that they were going to kill me if I went ahead with the event Um. and it kind of was like, well, this just shows exactly why we need to do it.
1: Yeah, that's um, absolutely disgusting that happens and you're and right, I'm- it's hard. But shows uh yeah, shows the importance.
0: And I remember my mum and dad, they were like they started worrying a lot because they were like, you know, people can be very unpredictable. And I said to them, I said to both of them, I was like, but if I pull out now, they get what they want.
1: Yeah. And
0: you can't you can't let bullies get what they want. And I went, and if something if something happens to me on the day, it just shows the ideologies that these people have in comparison to us.
1: That's a very courageous thought to have though, to think, well, if something does to happen, it's still an important message. So yeah, that's massive kudos to you for being brave enough to go through with it and stand up for what you believe in.
0: Thank you.
1: You know, you were talking about, you have to deal with council, police, people making death threats, which is horrendous. And then, on the the actual date of the vigil, how did everything go?
0: It went really, really well. Went to, well as as best a plan as you could expect because we organised it um, within a week. It was yeah. in, within a week or two that it was all planned and executed. So on the day, yeah, it, it went really well. Um, like one of my, I went over to one of my the organisers, my cousin, and I went. We need to do something else. We need to do something that's really going to lay in effect here. And so we went the eight minutes. So we made everyone sit in silence for eight minutes and then I got up and said, this is how long George Floyd was held down and suffocated for until he died.
1: Wow. That's very powerful. Like. A minute of silence is a long time and you think eight minutes, that would have seemed like such a long time for people. And then to say that at the end really, you know, drives home mm. just how can, unjust that situation was.
0: And you can see the change in their face too, like the confusion of kind of why we're standing here for eight minutes silence then the explanation at the end of like their faces kind of dropped like, oh, my God, that that was such a long time for me. It would have felt like hours to him.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that is very moving, um, and I suppose you know it's interesting time we're talking about now. It wasn't that long ago that the uh, verdict was announced, and you know we just hope that this does continue sparking change and and positive positive well, things moving forward.
0: The thing, the frustrating thing is that these vigils were held throughout Australia in in solidarity for America. But since that time there have been more Aboriginal deaths in custody. Like off of the top of my head, there's been seven in the last two or three months. And it's like a whole whole nation stood still in solidarity. And yet you're now going to completely diminish every every seed that we planted in the minds of our of our Fellow Australians, mm. and they've come in and gone, Not doesn't matter. Um, especially like this year is the 30th anniversary of the um, Royal Commission de- investigation into the death of custody, and yet they're still not doing anything that needs to be done. Like they just, it just shows the level of racism that we d- have to deal with within the justice system. Like I remember being, um, I did some stuff with youth justice and whenever there was an Aboriginal tro- person would go into the court and their lawyer would stand up and go, this is such and such an Aboriginal person. And so it leaves you to wonder why they said it and what their intent behind it is was to create, what were they intending to do by saying that.
1: Yeah, certainly very complex and, you know, I'm glad that we're hearing from people like you who can, you know, shed some light on it and and raise some awareness and, you know, we're letting people know that this is still an issue here.
0: Yeah, and we haven't turned our eye. We're still watching and we're still doing things to bring, to ensure that the wider community know what's going on and that we want these officers being held accountable for their actions because if it was someone out in the street that did something like that, they'd be slammed. So why is it okay for a quotation mark officer of the law?
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, for, for people who are interested in um, hearing more about these issues, it's, um, it is actually the timing is kind of uh, is interesting in that we've interviewed recently on this podcast, um, as I mentioned at the top, Jess Manuela, um, First Nations lady from Tasmania as well. We've um, interviewed Shane Cook, who was a South Australian um, Young Achiever of the Year for 2020, who's a First Nations man. And in that podcast, we speak about you know some of these issues that young people face. And so uh, another interesting one is actually an American, Brittany Ward, who worked in the Northern Territory for a long time. And she is now in Oklahoma city and working with police department and this really innovative program. It sounds great. Like something we should have here where the police department hold like these sport leagues, just completely free sport leagues for kids to be a part of. But importantly, it puts police in the community, not in a law enforcement way, purely getting to know people in the community. And it gives them an insight into what is really happening, what real people are real issues but like um, there's so
0: many things, like, something like that in Australia would be great. There's so many options of the things that we could do, but the, the government just doesn't have the interest in doing it. It blows my mind that an Aboriginal person can be treated in such absolute disgrace and, and get no media attention or anything like that. If something happens to a non-Aboriginal person... And it's everywhere. Everyone knows about it. It's all over the news. It's everywhere. Like I was telling someone about the black deaths in custody and over the last couple months and they were shocked. Oh, but it hasn't been on the news. And it's like, this is part of the problem.
1: Yeah, for sure. They
0: that it is a problem. And so they're trying to sweep it under the rug. They've, they've done historically done that since colonization.
1: Yep. It's yeah. It's not good enough. I agree with that. Bianca.
0: And like, the ideologies as well like I remember I was in hospital because my brothers and I have brittle bones osteogenesis infecta, So we spend a lot of time in hospital um which is both blessing and a burden yeah and I was saying to them I, I want to talk to the aboriginal liaison officer and they went why and I was like because I'm aboriginal and that is that's my right I want to see the liaison officer, because I was in an emergency. I was feeling a bit frustrated trying to explain things, and I thought, I need I need somebody else here. They flat out denied me the right to see her because I didn't look Aboriginal. Jesus. Like, it just shows the level, level of ignorance and stereotypes within mm. government systems. With my brothers and I being disabled, though, we spent a lot of time in hospital and... Like, although it was really, it, it was horrible spending so much time in hospital and, like, my brother Tristan didn't walk until properly until he was 18, spent most of his life in a wheelchair.
1: Really?
0: Um, and only started walking because they put metal rods through his legs. So he can walk around on a broken leg and it doesn't matter because of the rods. But, yeah, I remember being in hospital as a little kid and feeling sorry for myself and one day there was this, other little kid that was brought in and like you could, all the nurses were around and they were rushing her in and turned out that the girl who was about two years younger than me, her father had deliberately caused a car accident because of a custody battle. He was trying to kill kill his child because of a bitter custody battle he was going through with his wife at the time. And you'd you know, you'd be in there and the kid sitting across next to you was going through chemo and it, it puts life in perspective.
1: Mm, it certainly does. Yeah, it certainly <laughs> does when you, there's always, I don't know if this is a uh, a good thing or not, but there is always someone worse off and whether you can use that to inspire yourself or not is, is one thing. But I kind of wanted to ask you, and this was really relevant actually, you know, we talked about earlier that you had, been fueled at some points in your life by, you know, anger and, and maybe even and hatred. And then um, you've gone through all these challenges and obstacles um, in your life, you know, disability, racism and all these things. And yet now I know that, you know, you, the thing you love is just helping people and working with, with others to understand um, important issues and, and enlighten and educate people. So, what inspires you now, Bianca?
0: When a lot, a lot of it has to do with my upbringing too. So, when I was growing up, as I have touched upon earlier, having some issues um, with my parents, but I was also sexually assaulted by someone in the family. Oh, not in the family; that was friends with a family member. Yeah, um, and that went on for about twelve months. Um. And because of the things that were going on at home and then with that happening, I felt like I had to be quiet. I felt like I was alone. And so growing up and continuing to to carry that feeling of loneliness because of the things that had happened in my upbringing, I feel now as I've, like, overcome those things and addressed it and things, now what inspires me to keep going is... I don't want other people feeling how I did. Yeah. And if I can do something to make sure that they feel better than what I did in that situation, then that's what I need to do. Um, Like I always, I saw a a quote and I've kind of maintained it since, is be the person you needed when you were younger.
1: Hmm.
0: So now I'm being that person for people that are younger than me.
1: Yeah that's, yeah, that's absolutely lovely. And, you know, people sometimes just need to be seen or to be heard and valued. And, uh, you know, for you to be able to provide that to people now is just a wonderful thing.
0: And sometimes it can be as simple as sitting there and not saying anything. Yeah. Because they just want to be heard. They don't want someone to respond or tell them what they need to do. They just want to feel heard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You don't always have to fix people's problems, do you? Just listen.
0: Mm, That's it.
1: Well, Bianca, that's certainly very, very moving to me. Very inspirational story. The way that you've gone through everything in life, you know, taken so many obstacles and uh, to where you are today, you know, and a finalist in the Dental South First Nations People Achievement Award. I I certainly think it's inspirational, and uh, I want to thank you for sharing your time with us and telling us your story because I think it's great that people will get the opportunity to hear it.
0: Thank you for um, inviting me to come on and have a chat. It's been a really great opportunity.
1: Um, Bianca, just one last time before we go, uh, Munarala Designs on Facebook. Can you tell people, um, maybe can you spell it out for us so we people can search that and, uh, and make sure they go into the right spot?
0: So it's spelled T-A-K-A-M-U-N-A and then space double R a L a.
1: Lovely. And, uh, is there anywhere else that people can kind of follow along, um, to see your work, uh, as well?
0: Um, I'm on Instagram. So that's, um, just, yeah, you could Templar, Taco So if you yep. just, my name, it would come up.
1: We'll, uh, we'll put that in both of those in the, uh, the show notes as well. So people can easily uh, get those links. And, uh, of course, on, uh, next weekend, which I should look up the date. You might know it off the top of your head actually, but, uh, next the 14th <laughs> beat me to it. 14th of May is going to be the gala presentation dinner event for the Tasmanian Young Achieve Awards. I'll be following along the, uh, the Facebook page to see the results and, to um, to watch everything. So best of luck to you. you. Have a great night. Um, whatever happens, you'll, uh, you'll enjoy it and, uh, can't wait to, uh, to touch base with you and, and uh, keep in touch and see how things are going in the, the, the months and years to come.
0: Absolutely.
1: Thanks, Bianca, for your time. We'll talk soon. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview. If you liked it or any of our other episodes, it would be great if you can rate and review the Inspirational Australians podcast. It really helps us out. If someone you know needs a little dose of inspiration, why not let them know about this podcast? And if you haven't already... Make sure you're subscribed so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. You can always head to our website at awardsaustralia.com podcast for more information and details on each guest. Now, before we go, I'd like to thank Annette, our producer. Here's a fun fact. Annette is my mum and our other host, Jeff is my dad. This podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia, a family-owned business that proudly uncovers the stories of people who make a difference for others. We can only do this with the support of our corporate and not-for-profit partners as they make our awards programs possible. So do you know someone making a difference? If you'd like to recommend someone to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians. Or maybe your business might like to sponsor the podcast or get involved with the awards we run head to our website, awardsaustralia.com, for more details. Until next week, stay safe, and remember, together we make a difference. Thanks
0: for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.